Welcome to the Loveworks Here podcast. This is Sean York, and today's episode is going to be a little bit different. So Hannah is not with me today. I am going to do, we're going to call this a bonus episode because uh, it's, it's different. We're going to do a question answer with Sean. And if this is the first time you've ever heard this podcast, I would encourage you to start with another, start with episode one, The Purpose, uh, because this one is not the typical episode. It's just me. I'm the guest. And I was recently sitting down with a friend. His name is Justin Clark, and he's the one that originally inspired me to do this podcast. And he said, you know, Sean, every episode is edited down to about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, You tighten everything up. It's very clean. It's dialed in. And he goes, but it's not really you. And I wish I could just listen to it and just kind of be unedited and just be your raw, you know, kind of feelings. And so I said, okay, you know, that kind of sounds fun. Let's try it. It'll probably drive me crazy not to edit everything out because I say, um, and like a lot. And I know that when I listen back to it, it drives me crazy. So uh, I went ahead and did an Instagram story where I said, you know, kind of ask me anything on the at loveworks here Instagram account. And I got a lot of really good questions. So I'm going to answer those today uh, in the best way I can. And it's just going to be me, you know, my initial response to these questions. And we'll see how it goes. So if you like this, then let me know. Uh, If you don't, then you won't say anything and we might not do it again. So, (laughs) or maybe we'll do a question and answer with Hannah because she'll probably do a better job than I'm going to do today. So yeah, if this one's a little bit longer, actually a lot longer then that's why. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the questions. This is bonus episode number one, Q&A with Sean. I love my job. High volume, fast food, 160 employees. It is a pressure cooker and it gets crazy. But I truly believe that it's possible to build a business where everyone loves their job. It sounds impossible. And when I first started this business, it was. I'm not the extrovert or the social butterfly. I'd rather be building systems and crunching numbers on Excel. But I decided to stop making excuses of why I couldn't and start utilizing my love for systems to build a better culture. Today, I call it the York Framework, but it's really just a collection of systems designed to make a better workplace and make people happier. I'm going to share all the mistakes I've made so that you don't have to make them. And we'll look for new problems to solve along the way. I'm Sean York, and love works here. So the first question comes from Zach Hardison. I hope I said that right. He says, what's your Chick-fil-A story? Okay, Zach, uh, actually on episode one, The Purpose, I go through my Chick-fil-A story. So if you want to hear it in you know full length, I would check that out. But the short version is I... You know, I love music and I have a bachelor's degree in music education. The joke is I have a bachelor's degree in music education. And so far, that degree has gotten me a job at Chick-fil-A. Cue laugh track. Okay. So I never went into teaching music. I actually got halfway through the credential program and I was supposed to pass some tests. I didn't pass them. I don't know if I mentioned that in the episode, but it was really depressing. Uh, I was, I got the answers in the mail. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget opening these things up and looking at the, it was the Praxis and the SAT test. And I looked at my scores and I realized in that moment, it was a defining moment. I looked at it and I said, I'm not going to be a teacher because I was going to have to take a whole year off the credential program before I could do it again. So I realized in that moment, I would never probably be a teacher just because the point in my life 
where I was. And I went, I continued to work at Home Depot and I went into management. I was about to go into management, sorry. And one day a guy came in and said, you have great customer service. Have you ever thought about working for Chick-fil-A? And that was the start of everything. Uh, recently we were at the Chick-fil-A seminar and uh, he had said something about the butterfly effect uh, into uh, just in, in, in regards to how many people that I interact with and that I just from the podcast to everything and to my own employees and my own community. And just to say that like it all really came down to that one moment of him saying, have you ever thought about working for Chick-fil-A? And if he didn't ask me that, like <laughs> just crazy to think. So anyway, uh, like I said, that story is kind of at length on that episode. So you should check it out, Zach. Uh, the next one is at Cami York. Now I have to admit, Cami is my niece and she's awesome. I love you, Cami. And uh, she asked me this, which is cool. I didn't, I didn't know Cami listened to this, but maybe she just follows me on Instagram. Maybe she listens. I hope she does. She'll hear this. But uh, she says, when, you, uh, when did you first know you wanted to be a business owner and how did you go about it? So I hate to admit it, but I didn't I never really thought about being a business owner when I was working at Home Depot. Uh, I just, to, to be honest, I was at a point in my life where the position I was going into at Home Depot was going to require a lot of weekends. And I was also doing a lot of barbershop quartet singing and traveling with our quartet. And I was going to have to, you know, maybe not do some of those gigs. And I was, man, I hated the idea of that. And so... I thought, yeah, if I became an operator, I could probably make my own schedule. And that sounded pretty cool. Uh, but the real reason was I sat down with this other operator and I, I loved everything about the company. And I just said to her, I mean, just kind of just in faith, I said, uh, do you believe if I did this, if I worked for you for three to five years, do you think I could become an operator? Do you think I'd be good enough? You know? And she said, yeah, I think you could. And literally that's all I needed. And I, I believed that I could because she said I could. And if there's anything about that story that is, you know, worth telling, it is the power of telling somebody that you believe in them, that you believe that they can do it. And everything that I have achieved, again, comes down to that moment of her saying, I believe you could. And if she would have said, you know what, I mean, it's a cool opportunity, but it's not for everyone. I don't know that you could do it. I don't know that I would have. So it's really wild to think of. But uh, yeah, I, I wish I had a better answer than that. How did you, you know, how did you know? It was, she told me I could. And so I just believed it. So the next question is, uh, thank you for that, Cami. by the way. I really appreciate you. And uh, that was neat. So at Crazy Mama Tracy. Now, this is a friend of mine here in Corona and she inspires me so much. Uh, I did, uh, she actually had me on her radio show uh, a couple of years ago and I had so much fun that it, it was one of the reasons that when somebody mentioned the podcast, I, I thought, you know, I think, I think I could do it because I did that radio show with Tracy. So she has no idea how much she inspires me, but, uh, we love to geek out and have cool business conversations all the time, whenever we can, because she's really busy and I am too. But she asked me, what are some of the biggest hurdles to get over working with so many personalities? That is a great question because right now I have probably 180 employees and there are a lot of personalities. So I will say this, Enneagram, learning the Enneagram 
uh, you know, studying that, uh, all the personalities. About three years ago, uh, we did that, this whole Enneagram journey. It helped me a lot. And I will say there were people that I worked with in the past leaders that maybe I struggled with, um, you know, that we were just different people that now looking back, I go, oh my gosh, it's because they were, you know, this, or they were that number and everything that they were doing at the time that maybe rubbed me the wrong way. Now I realize why. And it wasn't that they were, you know, maybe, um, you know, whatever it, you say like, oh, that they, they were lazy or they were this, or they were scatterbrained or the, you know, wh- whatever it was. And, um, you know, now I just go, oh, that's a classic seven or six or, you know, I don't want to get too specific because then it'll be like I'm actually naming people and I don't want to do that. So, uh, but the Enneagram helped a lot. I really, really helped with working with a lot of different personalities. Uh, But I recently also, this was really cool. I read this quote um, and I was actually online and I was trying to figure out like an, (laughs) this is a weird thing, but an admiral, how many ships, I, I Googled this, how many ships does an admiral oversee? And the quote was like some random guy who answered a question on like this answers.com or something. And um, so it's not really even a quote. It's just someone's answer. But he said an admiral doesn't oversee 10,000 ships. He oversees four people. Those four people oversee four people. So I thought that was really profound. Uh, I imagine that the person who answered that was probably an admiral (laughs) or somebody really high up who kind of knew what he was talking about, but I don't need to deal with 180 personalities. I only deal with, you know, about 25 and, um, really those are my leaders. And really, I, I really deal with, you know, five or 10 top leaders. Those are the personalities that matter. So, uh, you know, there are, there are business owners, there are operators who deal with all 180 or 200 or whatever personalities. And I just can't imagine how that's scalable to me. Uh, I do try to know the names of my employees. It bothers me if I don't know someone's name and I, and I really try to make sure that I go out of my way to learn it. And, um, so I can address them by name and I do say, you know, hello to everybody when I walk in the door and I say goodbye to everyone, even as an, an introvert, you know, I, I know like I'd, I'd rather just kind of walk through and, you know, go to my office, but it's really important that I do that. I think that that's very important. So, uh, no matter what the personalities are, those are things that everybody appreciates. So um, if I say hello and goodbye, thank them and know them by name, you know, that's about as much as they can expect from me. I don't have to know everything about them. So sorry, that was a long answer. But, um, you know, I would say that once the business gets so big, you really have to say, hey, these are the people that I'm going to know really well. And I'm going to entrust that they know these people below them as well as I know them. So it's kind of like a waterfall goes downhill and you've got to entrust those people like, Hey, as I treat you, you've got to treat other people. And uh, if that isn't happening, then yeah, you're dealing with a lot of, of unnecessary personalities. Okay. So the next one is at Anna Crowell. Hi, Anna. Uh, She says, how do you motivate your team to achieve goals? And I'm going to lump that in with another answer. Uh, another question, rather, from at Father to Alice and Grayson. Uh, and uh, he asks, what is your secret to motivating your team of employees? So how do you motivate a team to achieve goals? And what is your secret to motivating your team of employees? Now, at Father to Alice, 
and Grayson, this guy, his name is Chase, and he actually, he works at Disneyland. This, hi Chase, if you're listening to this, uh, Chase is awesome. He's actually a server at Club 33, and um, I met him through someone else, but the bottom line is, it's pretty cool that, A, that somebody who works at Disneyland Club 33 is listening to this, this isn't just a Chick-fil-A guy, but also that he asks about motivating people, and, you know, given where he works, I'm very flattered and honored that uh, he would take the time to ask that. So I'm going to answer it. So uh, motivating people. Well, okay. The long answer is that uh, it is really in the six parts of the York framework in, in you know, the, the first uh, episodes of this podcast. But if I were to tighten it and try and tighten it in a short way, I would say that people need to be fed emotionally. Uh, either by me or by coworkers, um, but they need. And well, the first thing is they need to be fed, you know, emotionally. They need to feel like they're moving forward, and they need to believe that the work they're doing is something that's good for people. Those are all kind of Maslow's hierarchy things. That's not anything I made up. It's just how people are wired. But um, but really, uh, it starts with the idea that the person's happiness is more important than the job. So I think they need to believe from me that their happiness is more important than the job. So, you know, people ahead of profits type mentality. Um, But everything beyond that is just a process to achieve that goal. I want to achieve their happiness, uh, including the accountability piece that says, I want you to be happy even if it's not working for me. So I've had to tell people that too. Your happiness is so important that if you're not happy here, I want to help you find something else. So, um, if any of that didn't make sense, check out the episode episodes two through seven, um, where we expand on all of that. But I will say this, I've never said this on this episode or on this podcast, but this is an important principle. And I love saying this to my leaders, especially when I have a leader who really has a tough time motivating people. You can, and you could take this anywhere. This isn't just, you know, restaurant, Chick-fil-A, this is leadership here. So you can only yell negative as loud as you yell positive. So a lot of leaders uh, will shut their team down. And even I, I have done this. And I, I mean, I try not to do this, but um, because leaders sometimes will yell when it's wrong and they don't yell when it's right. So the best leaders are better at yelling at the good things than they are at the bad things. So leadership can be as simple as that. Motivation can be as simple as that. And I think a lot of leaders get in their own way because they yell at the bad things more than they yell at the good things. So that's an easy, easy, easy way to tell anyone, you know, hey, you could be a better leader. You've just got to yell at the good things as loud as you yell at the bad things. And that's it. So uh, thank you guys for uh, asking those questions. So the next one, and this is also from Anna Crowell. She says, uh, what is your proudest or most rewarding moment that you've had with your team? And I will say this has happened actually very recently uh, at the Chick-fil-A seminar. Uh, I had, there was a, there's a speech by, you know, some top people, some executives, and this was the CMO, the chief marketing officer for the whole company. And he addresses the all 7,000 people that were there. And in his speech, you know, he had reached out to me. I had recommended Simon Sinek's new book and um, The Infinite Game. And so I had read it and he had read it and he reached out to me and said, hey, I've, I've read this book. What do you think? And so we were talking about it. And I had shared with them in our conversation this recent story 
that I had been through with my leadership team, just kind of the journey I was on. And it was really, it was this journey about um, customer service and just kind of turning the ship around and changing my heart in the way that we think about serving people and caring for people. And uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was a story. I'll probably share it on the podcast sometime uh, and we'll do like a whole story on this. But uh, long story short, he said, do you mind if I use that? And, um, and so he did in his talk. And I didn't know how much he'd use it, but he really went in depth and talked about the whole story. And I was so proud. I was proud of my team because ultimately this was just a good idea that I had or something I was passionate about. But without the team, really the, the leadership team at both stores that took this and ran with it, uh, it, it wasn't even a story. It wouldn't have been a story, but they made it one and they made it, you know, really powerful. So I was so proud of them and I was so proud to be able to um, take that speech, that video and bring it back to them and, and play it for them. And so that was just really cool. You know, there are a lot of awards I could win and that we have won, but this was something that was something I'll remember for a long time. So uh, thank you for asking. And the next one is Autumn Scott 98. And Autumn asks, what is the hardest part of being a Chick-fil-A operator? Okay. So now I got to be really honest here. Um, okay. So I think that one of the really tough things is knowing that something, this is just for me, I don't know if this is for every operator, but I'll, I'll be honest with, with myself, knowing that something isn't your best and not being able to do anything about it and, or, or compartmentalizing it and saying, okay, I can't worry about that right now. I have to focus on this and be positive. So a good example of that is, you know, walking into the restaurant, maybe there's a spill or there's something. I mean, I, I, I look at so many things. I can point something out all the time that isn't done, you know, to my expectations. And it's, you know, it's so easy to walk in. And the first thing you go is, you know, why is there a line or why is there a spill or why is there this? Why is... But I can't do that. I can't, I have to walk in and say, Hey, how you doing? How's your morning? How are things going? I have to be positive. They can't have the first thing that they hear from me be something negative. So that is sometimes, sometimes that's really tough. Or when I'm leaving and I'm saying goodbye to everybody and maybe, you know, there's a, a long wait or there's something the drive throughs backed up or something. And, and I want to go like, Hey, what's going on? Like, you know, I want to say something about that. Like this isn't our best. But I have to go at the same time. I have to, you know, take my son to practice and I, I really have to go and I just have to be positive and say, you know, thank you and we'll see you and have a great night. And uh, I just that that's really tough for me just because I, I just kind of, I guess, a perfectionist in that way. So um, anyway, that's and, and then to be honest, um, I'm not good at that. That's why I say it's tough. I, I wish I were better at doing that. Um, but the next thing is, uh, here's a tough one. Here's a really tough one for me, is chasing the goals of my directors. So I have a director team, and I talk about it on this podcast. We have all these checklists for people to move forward, and momentum is so important. And you know, I, I say that this job is like a ride, and when the ride stops, people want to get off. And as long as the ride is moving, they will stay on. And all of that is good. And it's easy to do for team members that are entry level all the way up to, you know, leadership. But when they become directors, these are people that are getting close to, you know, is this going to be something I do for the next five years? You know, do I want to stick around with Sean? And it's tough to make sure that they have momentum. 
you know, uh, I will get, you know, my, my directors are all super happy. They, you know, love what they do. They're happy. And then one of them maybe achieve something great or they do this or they whatever. And then maybe they go on and they get a career and they become a nurse or something like that. And when that happens, everybody else, not, not everybody, but you know, some people on the team will think like, wait, what am I doing with my life? And, you know, I, I either need to, you know, help them, you know, find something or, you know, find something in the business that motivates them. But I mean, that's on me. That's, that's something that I need to make sure that I'm keeping my leaders engaged. And that can be tough because, um, oftentimes what will make them happy and what they think will make them happy might be two different things. So, um, you know, that, that, that can be a, a real challenge for me, but it's important that they they always stay motivated and they always stay happy. So, um, again, something that I am not the best at, and I wish I were better at that, but, um, uh, but that is, that's tough for me knowing them well enough to, to know what's always, what's next, what's next for you. So I could, I could do better at that. Um, so, okay, here's another one. I got two more, um, Shutting down entitlement before it takes over the whole store. The best way that I could describe that one time very early on, this was like my first year as an operator. It was Christmas Eve and I think we had uh, a, a lot of schedule requests to be off on Christmas Eve and we stay open till like six o'clock or something like that. Uh, six or eight, something uh, we, we close early on Christmas Eve. But uh, so I, I think like, there were a few people who were kind of bothered by that, that they would, you know, maybe have to work on Christmas Eve. And I overheard, or somebody told me that somebody else had said they thought that they should get paid double on Christmas Eve. Now I know that there are a lot of, you know, unions or, you know, in the grocery business or something that that would happen. And like, it really, really rubbed me the wrong way right away. Um, and, I could have just said like, you know, Hey, that's their opinion. And they'll say it and they'll probably would have kept saying it, but I had to pull that person aside and say, let me explain something to you. Um, you're talking about a company that shuts down every Sunday, the busiest retail day, you know, of the week they shut down so you can have a day off for your family. So, you know, I think that that's pretty generous and that's, that says a lot for what the company will do for you to make sure you have time with your family. And I really had to shut that down and just say, Hey, if, if you really believe that, if you really think that you should get paid more then you know, there are places that do that and you know, maybe you should consider that. And, it, and then it was really like, Oh no, 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 no. I didn't mean it like that. And I was okay. And yeah. So we, we kind of backtracked and, but you know, I had to kind of shut that down. Because uh, those those things can take over the whole business, and again, we're talking about a business that cares a lot about its its employees, and you know, closing down every Sunday is a big deal. So you know, you know, you will have people be entitled about things as much as you allow. So that can that can really take over and uh, be toxic for the whole business. Uh, and the last one is very similar to that, which is shutting down bad influences before they take over the whole store. So love works here. Everybody is, I mean, it is very like the bond is so tight with these team members. It is so tight. And we could be a place where everybody feels like, man, this is, you know, 
these are the best friends here and they, and they uplift me and they encourage me to do positive things and achieve great things. And being part of this family has made me a better person, a more positive person. All of those things could be true. However, at the same time, you could have one, you know, bad apple that influences a lot of people to where, you know, if left unchecked, you could end up with a culture where somebody says, these are the best friends and man, we've had, we had some wild times and I did some crazy things and, you know, it could turn into a a big, you know, fraternity or sorority where people make a lot of bad decisions. And, And we're talking about kids that are 17, 18, 19 years old. All of that can go down a really bad road if you allow it to. And so, you, you know, you really have to, especially the tighter the culture is, these, these things can happen and you've got to keep your eye on it because at the end of the day, I want to be known as somebody who provided a safe place for these young kids and a positive place. Uh, I see it's like a ministry, you know, to have a positive influence on their lives. And, um, you know, that, that can turn the wrong way really quick if, uh, if it's left unchecked. So that's an important thing to know. And that's just, like I said, it's it, any business. It's not just Chick-fil-A. It's, you know, any, any business where you want people to be really close to each other. So, okay. Those were a lot of long answers here. So we have another one here. This is at Melody star 17. Thank you, Melody for asking this question. This is how do you help team members that want to be leaders, but don't have the qualities to be? Well, um, definitely have you check out this, just the episode we just did called anyone can lead. Cause we, we really attack that like right on. We, we talk about a handful of team members we've had that just were very timid and, and very soft spoken and, and servant hearted people that wanted to lead. And we had, we had to, you know, kind of adjust their personality and, and really put them in positions to where they could grow. So please check out that episode. Uh, but the, the, the short answer to that is uh, a couple things is one, you know, whatever you're doing in your job, you know, finish your job as quick as you can, as quickly as you can, and then aggressive, aggressively seek opportunities to serve others and find common ground with others who might you be at odds with. Uh, and remember it's about serving others, not just getting promoted. Because sometimes the biggest thing that gets in your way, that stands in your way, is that desire to, I just want to be promoted. And you forget that this is all about, leadership is all about serving others. So that was pretty much me summing up the entire episode in just a couple sentences. So please check that out. That's a really good one. Uh, the next one is at David Mai. David Mai is a barber shopper. Well, he wasn't, we used to sing together in a chorus. So, uh, but he is a great guy. And he asks, how would you go about changing culture as an employee versus an employer? So that is a great question. So essentially, um, you're working in a place. So imagine you're not the owner of the restaurant. Maybe you're a server or a cashier and you just go like, man, the culture here is toxic or the culture, whatever. I want to change this, but I don't own the business. I can't change everything. How do I do that for my vantage point. Uh, so the answer that I would give you is if you're going to change anything, you've got to grow your influence first. So again, episode 14, anyone can lead. There's some really good ideas of how to be more influential, how to, how to turn yourself into a leader, even if you're in a spot where you're not a leader. 
Uh, and that is, you know, even if you don't have a checklist, if you just want to grow your influence, check out that episode. But even if you don't become a leader, like even if there isn't a path to leadership, by doing the things in this episode, you will become the most influential team member or the most influential, you know, cashier or server or whatever, you know, your, your job role is. But I always say that uh, in, in our business, the most influential people are the lower level leaders, like our trainers. And you might think like, oh, no, the, the most influential people are your top leaders. But the fact is, these lower leaders, they oversee 50% of the workforce. You know, we have the, the largest employment group is going to be your entry level team members and your red shirt. You know, I call them red shirt. We, they wear red shirts in our, in our organization, but uh, you have this huge employer group and then you have the leaders right above them. And I mean, they oversee this huge, the, the largest employment group. So that's a lot of influence that they have. So, um, you could be in that spot. You could be the most influential out of those. And, and you actually have a lot more influence than you think to change the culture and turn that around. So uh, another thing is get other people that you work with to listen to the podcasts that inspire you. This might be one of them. There might be others, uh, but whatever, wherever you want to take the culture, uh, the things that are inspiring you, make sure you have them or uh, read books, whatever, at least have a couple of them, like I said, that, that care like you care. Uh, we actually had a, recently I had an operator visit and uh, he visited with a couple other operators and we showed him all these things through the store. And as we were demonstrating these things, later he came up to me and he said, now I realize where my team got that idea. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you did this thing with a name tag, like you put it in a box and then you presented it to us. And he said, my leaders started doing that. And I thought it was a great idea and I didn't know where they got it from, but now I know where they got it from. Cause you talked about it, I guess on the, on the podcast, I said, Oh yeah, that's really cool. And I was very, you know, flattered to, to hear that. But here's the thing. The operator didn't know that his team had been inspired to do these things. And what I found out later is that his whole leadership team had been listening to the podcast and had been sharing ideas and saying like, Hey, we should do this. We should do this. And they just started doing them. They didn't even ask him. And of course he loved the, you know, the result was, you know, it started to do great things for the culture. But uh, the, the idea is if you have a handful of people that are listening to the same things and you share these ideas, uh, eventually you can start changing the culture and without the owner even knowing, you know, that this is going on. So anyway, that's, uh, that is my advice for that. Uh, this is the next one we have. Two people asked this, what advice do you have for aspiring operators? This was at Julia Ash and at Armin Cabral. Oh, I probably said that wrong, maybe. Okay. Uh, and also Owen Claytor, I think that's it, at Owen Claytor, said, I plan on applying. I'm sorry if I said your names wrong. Anybody on here? Uh, these are like Instagram handles, so... Uh, he says, I plan on applying to LDP, that's Chick-fil-A's leadership development program. He said, within a year, any tips to make me a better candidate? So uh, really what this comes down to is people wanting to be a Chick-fil-A operator. And so they're asking for advice. So uh, I have a couple things here. Hopefully I can get through this quickly. But uh, one, finish school. Uh, and if you're going to go, you know, finish school, get you, I mean, you could get a degree in anything. Uh, nowadays you can do this online. There's a lot, but I know Chick-fil-A, they value having a bachelor's degree. That's a big deal. So, but if I could give you an advice, get a degree in business. I didn't have a degree in business. I, I haven't taken a business class, 
but looking back, um, I got a degree in music. I could spend my whole life learning about music, but if, if I would have went back, I would have gotten a degree in, or at least taken business classes. So, uh, take your music classes. They're fun. The arts are great and they will make you be a better learner and a more well-rounded person. But, uh, if you're going to get a degree, uh, you'd probably use more of it if you want to be an operator, uh, in business. Uh, the next thing is save money. You know, a lot of people think that they, they, they're, they're developing themselves as a leader. They've got their degree, they got all this stuff, but, um, you know, this company's not going to invest, you know, millions of dollars in building a restaurant for you and handing it to you. If you don't show a pattern of good stewardship in your own personal finances. So that's important. Think about, you know, your own, that's, that's, they're going to look at your credit and everything. That's a big piece of it. Uh, but set aside three years is another thing. I once had somebody come, this is actually a common thing. And it's kind of a, a joke in our, in our organization. They say, you know what, Hey, whatever happened to that one guy? And I said, Oh yeah, he, we hired him. He wanted to be an operator. Uh, he left about a month later because he didn't become an operator. And there are so many people like that who, you know, come to you and they say, you know, Hey, can I work for you? I, I really want to be an operator. And they're gone in a month uh, because it didn't happen. So just set aside three years. I, for me, I was like three to five years. I said, if I'm not an operator in five years, I'll go back to Home Depot. But I, for me, this was a life-changing opportunity and it was worth me trying, you know, spending five years to, to accomplish. And you would do that for college anyway. You would say that, you know, people do that all the time. They say, I'm going to devote five years or, you know, four years to college could take five. And, uh, that's the gamble that I'll take. And I think that it'll provide me something great. Uh, do the same thing with this. And, um, because this is a, a great opportunity, um, be involved in the community. That's another one. You know, when they interview you, if you say, you know, say, why do you want to be an operator? And they say, because I want to have an impact on young people. And they say, what are you doing today? And, you know, are you doing anything to have an impact on young people? And you go, Oh, not really. I just spent all my time working. Um, it says a lot more if you're actually doing something now and they can say, wow, look at this person is uh, volunteering in, you know, Big Brothers, Big Sisters or in their local youth group or, you know, whatever it is in Young Life. Uh, they're doing that with what they're given. Imagine how much greater of an impact they could have if we give them a whole restaurant. So understand that that's important. So what are, how are you involved in the community? Um, so the next, I have two more things here. This is something from just, you know, my personal experience, be the best at whatever job you're assigned. If someone's better than you learn from them and then be better, especially the thing that Chick-fil-A values most, which is serving others, stewardship and positive influence. Those things are really important. So if somebody walked into the building, would they notice you above all the other team members serving better? If they would notice somebody else, why would they select you? You know, that was something that I, I really, I was like, man, I don't know how to do all the things, but when it came to, you know, my job as a cashier, really in the early days of me working there, I knew that the best, the person who was the, the best server, you know, in the restaurant was my operator. And, you know, when she was on a register, she would say, you know, oh, I'd love to serve you over here. And, you know, she was just so accommodating. She had this Southern voice. And I said, I've got to be as good as her. Because if somebody walks in the door and, you know, is handing out Chick-fil-A's doors, you know, why would they look at me? And uh, always, how do I get to be as good as her? Do I stand out like her? So when people walk in, they go, who's that guy? And why isn't he an operator? So anyway, that's important. That's, that was important for me. You know, I, that's not official advice, but 
That is some advice. Uh, the next one is help others achieve their goals. Okay. Sometimes we get frustrated because others are moving forward and we aren't like we're working at a store and someone's getting promoted and someone else is getting promoted. And it's like, when's my, when's my time? When am I going to learn how to write the truck order? When am I going to learn how to write the schedule? This is important for my development. So we get better. We get better, you know, like because everyone else is getting trained and we're not, but realize that being an operator is all about putting others first and championing their dreams. So if you're not doing that now, when will you start? Be the champion of others. Be the biggest champion of others in the store. Uh, There's a quote uh, from Zig Ziglar that says, you can be anything you want if you will just help other people get what they want. It's something to that extent. But essentially... Uh, it's, it's kind of a neat thing when they go like, man, I really hope this person becomes an operator or becomes, you know, reaches their goal because they help everybody else. And then, you know, at some point people start going, Hey, we all want this for you because you champion everybody else. Uh, that's again, that's not official advice, but that's my advice. And that's, I think it's a really powerful thing. Uh, the next one is at, okay. I'm going to, I don't know. This is his Instagram handle at Sean, is it Lubs? Lubes? I don't know. So anyway, but I know this guy. He he sings in a chorus uh, out in Pennsylvania. And so it's a great chorus. So he asks, this is a barbershop. This isn't a Chick-fil-A person. It's so cool. How have your leadership skills at Chick-fil-A uh, as a Chick-fil-A manager been beneficial to quartetting? Okay. So Sean, uh, I was actually a quartet singer long before I was an operator. So it's actually the other way around. Um, how has my quartet made me a better operator? Uh, and that's a real thing uh, from, you know, learning to have a champion mindset. Uh, the, way that we, the way that we prepare to be champions as singers and as competitors has helped me a lot as an operator, which is um, working to where you can be consciously competent. You know, we're going to do it right until we to get till we get it right and then we're going to keep doing it until we can't do it wrong and that's something that just in barbershop uh, we we learned that we're going to keep doing this right until we can't do it wrong and when you take that mindset into business uh into you know serving others into you know hey when we have to serve you know 2000 transactions a day what are the things that we need to do to where we can we can make them to where we're consciously competent, just all, we do it right all the time. You know, it's like saying my pleasure all the time. We've got to get to the point to where it's just something that we do and we can never do it wrong. So anyway, uh, that's a pretty cool thing. Just that, just that mindset of that champion mindset. So I will say, however, that being an operator, uh, my time at Chick-fil-A as a business owner has helped me in uh, leadership in the Westminster Chorus, which is a, an awesome course. Again, I, I mentioned that on one of the episodes, but you should check them out. They're just an amazing, amazing organization. But uh, the Westminster Chorus, look them up. Great stuff. But trying to motivate 100 millennials to give their best is so similar to you know my job at Chick-fil-A. So um, I, I will say that the most successful membership drive that we ever did as a chorus was a project that I help put together. And then I went and used the same exact thing in my restaurant and, um, to recruit people. And so anyway, uh, that was a, there's a whole story to that, but it was a really cool thing that we did this whole campaign 
that we built the chorus at the time to, you know, from it had gone to the, you know, the smallest it had been in many years to the largest it had been in many years. And it, and it went really fast. It, it grew fast. Um, and I said, man, I, I got to do that same thing in, in the business. So uh, there are a, a ton of ideas that I've kind of swapped, like stuff I've done in the business that we did in the chorus and the other way around. So uh, the next one is the chicken princess. I think this person works for Chick-fil-A. So it's at the chicken princess. So uh, this person says, how do you ensure the protection of the culture in your store with your team? That is a great question. So thank you, chicken princess, the chicken princess. Uh, My answer is it's built into our core values. So yes, we have to protect the culture. That's very important because this culture, and the thing is I have two stores. So at any point, the culture just could I mean, when you have like a hundred people in a store and sometimes you hire, you know, five or 10 at a time, you could end up with like a subculture that just takes over. And that's a, I mean, it can happen, you know, and I've, I've almost seen it start to happen, but we build it into our core values. So in episode six, I, it's the higher purpose. We talk about core values, but what they should be, they should be a description of who we are. Uh, and what we are here to protect, not, not core values that, that are like, you know, uh, they uh, core values. Sometimes we make core values that they're who we want to be someday core values. This is who we are and and what we're here to protect. So I used to give my example, uh, my leaders, an example of this when we were coming up with our core values. And I used to say, uh, if 30 people say, if I told you tomorrow, like, Hey, uh, we are going to bring 30 people into this organization, uh, because another store maybe is going through a remodel or they're closing down. And so we have to, we have to hire 30 of them from the other across town. Um, what would you tell them before they clocked in? You know, you would probably say, you know, hold on, hold on. This place is really important to us. So before you even walk through those doors, there are some things that you need to know and you need to be ready to, to maybe do differently. You know, and maybe they would say like, number one, we take care of each other here. We don't gossip or, you know, whatever it is like, you know, and so through that exercise, what, what would you come up with to protect your own culture? And so, you know, they would say, Hey, you know, yeah, we, this is, you know, maybe they would say, Hey, honor the family or honor the, you know, protect the, this, or, you know, guard this. And, and so they would come up with these core values. So it's important that, you know, you come up with core values that says, this is who we are and we are here to protect it. And, uh, you know, this is what we fire for. This is what we, you know, we will keep people here. And, um, but if you, if you violate this, you know, so that's a, that's an important part of your core values. So, um, that being said, uh, once we have core values, we talk about them in orientation. We make sure that every team member memorizes them within the first 30 days. They have to know them. And then every checklist thereafter, your advanced checklist, your crew leader checklist, you can't get through those checklists without, you know, reciting them. So they, everybody recites them, you know, through just through all these checklists. So we, we got to make sure that we keep them alive. Those are really important. Uh, so the next question is at Travis York. This is my brother. And he says, food for thought, Festivus celebration 2020. So, uh, yes, the Seinfeld uh, holiday. (laughs) That's great. I love my brother. So um, he's all about the airing of grievances. He did that actually one time. He he tried to do the Festivus thing, and he did the airing of grievances on Facebook. (laughs) And we, I was like texting my dad. I'm like, what is Travis doing right now? 
it was all cool until he started talking about my mom and then it was uh it got real so uh i will say the airing of grievances. i know he's joking but i'm gonna answer anyway the airing of grievances would get me in trouble for sure and probably get other people fired if they did this because i take things too seriously if i had team members starting to you know say all this you know tell it tell it like it is like my brother does yeah it would it probably wouldn't go well so Thank you, Travis, though, for keeping this light. I appreciate that. Uh, the next one is at Hannah Grace Morris. She says, not a question, but I love your podcast. You guys are so inspiring. Thank you, Hannah. I really appreciate that. Uh, that is awesome. And, and we actually get a lot of these uh, from emails from other operators. Um, that it, it's just, it's, it's really heartwarming to know this. And it, it keeps me going, keeps me wanting to do this because I know people are listening and they appreciate it. And so... Uh, um, it's really cool. So uh, I have a, a couple other questions here, and these aren't ones that were sent in, but it is you know these are things that people have asked along the way. So I'll just rattle these off. But um, you know, have you ever had a system that failed? So we come up with a lot of systems. I love systems, and you know, I know when I share all these systems, you know, in the podcast episodes, you know, we have a checklist for this, and we have a checklist for this. It sounds like all these things are great, but do they ever fail? And so, uh, yes, I had, uh, one of them was to get to know my team members better. I said, this is a system. I'm going to ask all of them like three to like these five questions. And that was not good. It, um, they figured out that it was just a system and it was not me actually wanting to get to know them. It was awkward for me and for them. And I won't do that again. Um, that was kind of a system, but it was, it was, yeah, it was systemized because I was going to do that with everybody you know, uh, but scheduling one-on-ones, oh man, this was, yeah, this wasn't, wasn't good. So this is a great idea with, it was great heart behind it, but I told my directors, I said, here's what we're going to do. Here's the system because it was like, it just seemed like whenever we sat down and had like a one-on-one things would be better. And so I said, we can't, you know, you know, we can't not do this. It was like, you know, putting oil in the engine and then the oil light turns on and then eventually you run out of oil and then your engine seizes up. This was like our relationship. Um, and to keep it from seizing up, we needed to have these one-on-one meetings. And so I said, they're so important that here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make sure that I do a, a one-on-one meeting with every one of my directors once a month. And because I want to make sure that we accomplish something and that we're a good steward of this time, I'm going to make a, an agenda. And so I don't even remember what was on the agenda. It was like, how are you doing? How's your job? What's diff- oh, one of them was, what's difficult right now for you? Those are great questions to ask. The problem was after like the third month, everybody knew what the, what the answers were. So I would say, Hey, how are you doing? They say, good. And then I would say, uh, like the goal of this is to kind of break down the walls and get us to you know be vulnerable and be honest. And eventually when you know, the questions are coming, they, they just lose their significance. So I would say, how are you doing? Good. They would say, um, you know, so what's difficult? I don't know. And they're prepared to not be honest because they knew the question was coming. So it just stopped. We literally would say, I would say, Hey, we're supposed to do a one-on-one meeting. I'm embarrassed to tell you that this was, this actually was a thing that happened. This is how it ended was, Hey, we're supposed to do a meeting today. Do you have anything? No, not really. Anything you need to talk to me about anything difficult, whatever. And they would say, no, 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 you're good. You can go. It's fine. We'll meet some other time. And pretty much with that, that was the end of the meetings and which is kind of sad, but it, it again, it can't just be when you're talking about relationships, it's hard to systemize. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, 
so anyway, those were some things. They just these things need to be personal and and be more just kind of in the moment and not something that we systemize. So, um, so let's see. Jolt checklists were tough for us. I have so many systems that we we write down people's names. We attach names to work. It's so important. And as soon as you you know relegate that to a a, a digital checklist, it takes the power away from someone's signature and it becomes something that they can just kind of pencil whip and they don't take it seriously. And I've seen that happen so many times that uh, I want to believe that we can get through it and it, it not be a thing, but it is man. As soon as we, we do, we turn a, a checklist, a written handwritten checklist and we, we digitize it and say, now it's on an iPad. It'll be so much easier. Uh, it loses the power and people stop taking it seriously. It's crazy. But uh, something about the written signature is very powerful. Uh, the ukulele. Somebody asked me, what's with the ukulele uh, in the intro? So my wife's Hawaiian, and um, our four kids all have Hawaiian names, Kalea, Kainoa, Kapono, and Kahana. And I like to play the ukulele. Whenever we go to Hawaii, I like to bring my ukulele and play. And I usually play a lot there, and I don't play as much here. But the intro is actually me playing. I wrote those chords. Uh, I wanted to have like a song in the intro, but then I realized you can't really do that in a podcast like without the permission. So I said, I guess I'll write my own. And um, kind of a weird thing, since I'm just talking about it, um, there's actually another Chick-fil-A operator who has a podcast and I didn't know about it. And so somebody told me about it and I looked it up and I was like, oh, no way. This is kind of cool. And he had started his like 18 months before me. And it is um, a servant's journey, I believe. You can look it up if you want. And I did. And he had a ukulele in the intro. And I was like, what? He's going to think I totally ripped him off. But I didn't. So I'm sorry if you think that. But um, it was my wife's Hawaiian, you know. But I love the ukulele. So Uh, what made us settle on the word love works here? So... um, I always wanted that. In my story from the very beginning, I always wanted a place where everybody loved to work. Uh, So when we needed signs for recruiting in our, we wanted to put signs up around our business for like, hey, instead of help wanted, what could we tell people that, uh, so, okay, so I read the book and you should read this book. It's awesome by Donald Miller called uh, Building a Story Brand, I think. Look up Story Brand. It is a great, it is an incredible book. I mean, made, I mean, just from a marketing standpoint, just he's so awesome. But um, it was kind of like, I need to appeal to their human needs, human emotional needs. So when somebody reads this, if it says help wanted, they'll just tune it out, whatever. What could I say on this sign that it communicates my needs but it also speaks to their human, emotional, like Maslow's hierarchy needs. And what I came up with was love works here. So that you hear that and you go like, that's interesting. I would like to work in a place where love works. So it appeals to everyone's needs. It also, this is kind of a cool thing that I've never talked about, but there is a cool double meaning in in a recruitment sign that says love works here. And um, because it says love work, so that's kind of like a hidden little message. And it also says work here. It's crazy. Those are all things in those three words, love work and work here, that um, we are sending this message that is kind of kind of a cool thing. So after we came up with it, then it was like, wow, there's a lot of really cool meanings in this. So we kept it. 
And that's the podcast. Um, and then let's see. Oh, somebody asked, how do you decide on what episodes? How do you decide? Okay, so I don't know. Like I kind of come up with that on my own. But I see good ideas uh, throughout the store. I see my leaders come up with a good idea. And I think like, man, I should do an episode on that. Um, but but if I did just on that idea, it wouldn't be long enough. So typically what I'll do is I'll just, I'll start, um, you know, writing down these ideas. And then I find ways to kind of put them all together. So um, somebody came up with an idea recently, how to have better meetings. And I was like, ah, oh, man, that's a great idea. I never thought of, I should share that. And then, but you know, so maybe is the episode all about meetings or is the episode all about, you know, motivating people or keeping people engaged or is it about, you know, making the tough things easier? So uh, eventually I'll have enough ideas, you know, but the common thread here is I love capturing and sharing stories. I just love doing it. That's why I've gotten into photography. I've gotten into video editing. I just love it when I see a good story and I and like people should see this. You know, I don't think anybody's noticing it and I want to share it. Uh, it's for that reason. I will say that um, kind of fun fact. I have currently uh, on my Instagram at Sean York, which is mine, where I share stories of, you know, me and my family and, you know, everything with with family. And some of the work things. I'm also, I also like, if, if you were to look at my Instagram account, I also have at loveworks here for the podcast. I have at CFA crossings for my crossings restaurant and at CFA HVP for the hidden Valley Parkway restaurant. But also I have at OC times quartet and I used to have at Westminster chorus. So those are all, that's six different accounts, but really like the main theme is it, it's, things that I've been a part of where I end up seeing stories, capturing them and wanting to share them. And so typically at some point people just, they put me in charge of sharing stories being say the historian, uh, if you will. So anyway, uh, you could check out any of those. Those are, those are all great things, uh, accounts, but, uh, and I don't do all of them anymore. I, I actually, I don't do all of them. I have a lot of people that I've kind of uh, worked with to 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 help me with those, but um, anyway, so that's all the questions uh, that I have. Like I said, I'll probably do another one of the, if we if this is a popular thing, then maybe I'll do another one eventually. Um, but this is a long episode. This is this is an hour. I can't imagine anyone actually listening to the whole thing. But if you did, you have to say something. You've got to message me or something because uh, when. This guy, Justin Clark, he told me, hey, people would want to hear this. I said, I don't know, man. Anything over, you know, 20 minutes, that's like TED Talk length. You know, they're, I think that they're, I'm going to, and he said, he's listening to these three-hour podcasts from Jocko and Joe Rogan, and and, I'm, and he says, no, man, people will do it. So, if you made it through, you have to let me know. So, anyway, maybe we'll do one of these with, with uh, Hannah, let Hannah ask, uh, answer some questions on her own one of these days, uh, or any one of my leaders, if you want to ask questions for them, um, then let's do that. Or if you have ideas, please let me know. Cause we are always looking for good things to do and to share ideas. Uh, as long as I see ideas, I'll probably want to share them. And this is a great, uh, this is a great way to do that. We are probably about, a, there's a, there's about the podcast, uh, app tells me that there's about a thousand people that are actively listening. So as long as there's people that want to learn and want to listen, I'd love to share. 
especially good stories. So anyway, thank you for listening and uh, thank you for being with me here on this and listening to all these stories and ideas and answers. Uh, Once again, this is Sean York. This was the bonus episode number one, hopefully. Maybe there'll be others. Uh, But question and answers with Sean. Take care of yourselves and be well. Mm -hmm.